Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second season of For the Love of Books podcast featuring Indian small press authors with host Emma Polova. I would like to thank our sponsors, Doc Chavant and The Low Ledger. Today, I will be chatting with author Chris Gare, who will announce the details of his book giveaway of the beautiful moment at the end of the interview. Chris is a prolific writer who lives in a suburb of Detroit. He is the author of nine books. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing great. By the way, are you going to the Palmer Park Art Fair in Detroit? I've just finished a podcast about it just five minutes ago or so. <laughs> Probably not. I'm a little bit of a homebody right now just because of my work schedule. I work full time and I'm also writing when I'm not at work. So I social is really not in my vocabulary right now. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about your book, The Beautiful Moment. I would like to start out by reading the opening line from author Keenan Kelly's review of your new book. This paranormal flavored romance doesn't just tug at the hard strings, it plays them like a virtuoso. Would you like to comment on this poetic review? That's a yeah, very I, pretty line. I didn't pay her to say that. Um, you the did? Thing, I didn't, no, but the thing with, with Kiernan, I've done a number of conventions with her in the past. Uh, she doesn't pull punches. She does not blow smoke up you at all. If, if you ask her, you know, I don't know if I have something with this. Can you please read it? Can you tell me, do I have something? Do I not have something? And she read it and that's what she came up with. And I'm, I was really kind of gobsmacked by the whole thing because I did not know what I have or didn't have with this one. Is it that much different from the other ones? Well, I started, I did one historical, I did three comedies. Uh, I was a part of five comedic anthologies. So I have a background more in comedy. Uh, shortly during the, um, the, the anthologies, my father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So I went through seven years of that with him. Uh, lost my mother, my grandmother uh, during that time too. So I, I stopped writing comedy because I just didn't find anything funny. funny. And I ended up writing four books that were very, very serious, very, very dark. And I'm finally stepping away from those with the beautiful moment and trying the romance genre and trying something a little more romantic. It's still very dark, but it's, I almost put a little too much of my own experiences in there as far as the loss and dealing with loss, but it helped me do it. But again, I couldn't step back up or back away from it to know <laughs> Does this work? Does it not work? I'm really having to rely on other people to tell me if it did. Okay. So what inspired this book? Was it inspired by COVID? I had really wanted to do something. I work in a hospital during the day and we, I've been there. I haven't been able to work from home. I work in the hospital. I've been there since COVID began, uh, actually before and during. And I, not too many stories I've read really kind of touch on COVID or the consequences of it. And I really kind of wanted to make it current. Uh, if I was going to do a romance and set it in a small town, which I did, I wanted it to be where it was still the undercurrent of COVID and people dealing with the after effects of COVID. And the main character has lost his mother to COVID. So I'm, it, it'd probably be dated in five years, hopefully, if, if COVID ever goes away. But for now, it's still fresh in everybody's mind. People relate to it. And I really wanted them to relate to the character. Okay, let's talk about your protagonist, Wesley. What is he like? Wesley is very, very closed off. 
He did not start off that way, though. As a child, you get a glimpse of him as a child. He's very bubbly. He's very bright. He's very outgoing. But he has two uncles who don't like him at all and have made his life in absolute misery and have continued to do so. One uncle has passed, but the one uncle who's still alive feels that uh, his grandmother, the uncle's mother's, Wesley's grandmother, uh, her belongings, she's passed, they should be going to him. And she basically, because of his attitude and treatment, left everything to her daughter, Wesley's mother. And this uncle feels that everything should go to him no matter what. So he's basically dismissing Wesley as a person, as a human being, has gone to incredible lengths to make his life as miserable as humanly possible. So why does Wesley escape to Upper Peninsula? Why did you pick Upper Peninsula? There's a good reason for that. <laughs> my, um, my husband's family, they own property up near Sault Ste. Marie. And we go up there during the summer quite a bit. And we had talked at one time and said, you know, what? wonder what would be like to you know, live up here during the winter and what would, you know, what that would be like. And as we were driving up in the fall, it just, as you're going from the Mackinac Bridge to Sault Ste. Marie, Mm -hmm. you're driving depending on the music you listen to it's very desolate looking but it is people, it is but the people up there are amazing and i thought i really <laughs> wanted to step away from this area here and go into something that was far more remote and kind of play with the scenery there and what the people would be like and just kind of get a little flavor for that so what is your location is it sue Sault Ste. Marie? It's Sault Ste. Marie and a little bit west of there, about a half an hour west, a little town called Brimley. Brimley. Okay. Now, what is Dr. Clark Matsuda like? Where Dr. did he Matsuda. come from? <laughs> Who inspired this character? I like the name. I like everything about this character, just from the name. The funny thing with, with I wanted somebody who was Japanese. Uh, I've, I've written characters in the past who are Chinese, Vietnamese. I've never had anyone, a character that was Japanese. So he's Japanese by birth and become a doctor. And he started working in Michigan by his choice. Uh, the name Clark uh, originated from, there is, there is a, a resident where I work who is, I think he's Chinese. I've never had the nerve to go up to him and ask him yet, but his first name is Clark. And I have always for two years wanted to ask him how he got that first name. I've never met anybody with that name Clark. I just, I've never come across that. And I kept thinking, you know what? I'm just going to put that name in the story. And at some point I will gather up the nerve and I will ask him, I'll, I'll talk to him. And I think I've walked by him three or four times in the last four months. And I still just can't do it. Because <laughs> it sounds it sounds a little awkward at that point if you're like, oh, by the way, yeah, I named a character after you in my upcoming book. I mean, that doesn't sound awkward. I think he would appreciate it. Well, I can hope, but. All right, let's talk more about this brutal uncle. What inspired this character? A real brutal uncle from your family? Fortunately, your no. Family? Fortunately, no. Now, uh, there, when I was writing that character, I really wanted somebody who could do a real serious bully. And the person who came to mind uh, and, I, and I love this guy's stand-up comedy. I think his name is, oh my God, now I've had a brain fart. He does the uh, the blue collar, uh, Ron, Ron White? I think his name is Ron White, I think. Uh, but just his demeanor when he's on stage, 
he's very funny, but you just know that he could turn on a dime and he could just be this horrific bully. And that is exactly who I pictured. And I kind of channeled him into that character just because he was so brutal. And I could, I could actually zero in on that and, and use that in the story. And the plot? Plot essentially is this. Uh, starts off a little bit of a flashback. So you see Wesley as a child. Uh, you see the passing of his mother and his uncle confronting him. And about eight months after that, Wesley has decided that the only way to escape his uncle who is having him followed, who is trying to sue him in court for belongings and he's lost every lawsuit so far, Wesley has won, but he will not leave Wesley alone. So Wesley has managed through a lawyer to have the house sold, have all the belongings taken out a little at a time. And he literally gets up for work one morning. He's on like a sleeping bag, leaves it, gets into his car to go to work, turns in his badge, has somebody drive his car, which he has sold away. And he's picked up by somebody from the lawyer staff, drives him to an office. He picks up a new vehicle and he drives up north and he escapes. That it, he, There's no trace of him, nothing. And he just basically escapes, finally gets up in the Upper Peninsula where he wants to be essentially be a recluse. He just he doesn't want to be around anyone, doesn't want to talk to anyone, doesn't want to be seen, doesn't want to be found. And while he's there, some very strange things begin to happen around his house. He's not quite sure if it's just a coincidence, if it's something else. Um, and he winds up in the hospital, first with a kidney stone. And then with an appendix that's going to burst, and this, which is how he meets Dr. Matsuda. And Dr. Matsuda takes an interest in him because as, as Wesley is getting out of surgery, the surgeon friend of his says, hey, come here, you, you need to see this. And points out to uh, Clark that there are burn marks on the bottom of Wesley's feet. There are scars all over his body. Mm -hmm. And the doctor is wondering, how did this happen? Wesley gives no indication, doesn't want anything to do with him. But the two of them over the course of the book obviously start to uh, gravitate towards each other, start to trust each other, and start to open up. Great. What were some of the challenges in writing this up? Uh, it was my first attempt ever at deliberately trying to write romance and not make it. I guess my, my, my problem is, is that when I think of romance, you think of something fluffy, light. <laughs> fluffy, happy, people like that. And there's not absolutely nothing wrong with that. I don't write that. <laughs> so it was a matter of, can I make this dark, but not make it too dark? Is it okay to have a slow burn with the two of them, you know, getting to know each other so that it's not, they meet each other and they're, they're happily ever after right away. And maybe there's like one or two things they have to go through and try and respect the tropes of romance while also doing something that pushes that envelope which is what interested me and making the characters believable so that they're not off the rails. So people don't lose interest in them. They want to know until the end, what happens? Oh. How long did it take you to write it? This one, probably about maybe seven months, maybe. Maybe seven months. Okay. Seven months for that, three months for the editing and yeah. What sets you apart from other authors in your genre? When I first started out, I want to say it was probably the comedy. Because okay. my, my thing with, if I go to see a movie and it's a comedy, 
I have a rule about that. I want it to be funny in the beginning. I want it to be funny in the middle and I want it to be funny in the end. A mistake that I see with a lot of films and books is that you have it funny in the beginning and then it starts to get very dramatic and you're sort of like at the end, it's just not as funny anymore. And yes. you, the characters go through, that to me is not a comedy. Mm-hmm. My books, if, I, if I'm writing a comedy, start funny, they're funny in the middle, they're funny at the end, they're funny throughout. And that's what started to, um, I think, set me aside in the beginning. Now, uh, I have been with my husband for 27 years. He is half Chinese. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I see in, in literature these days, even films, um, lack of Asian characters, even in books. Yes. So in the last five, six books, I will put Asian characters in there, not as the comic relief, not as a secondary character, but mm-hmm. right up there with the main character. Okay. Just as important, just as integral. They are in, it's not just because of their ethnicity, it's because of who they are as human beings. And I can bring some of the ethnicity into it and some of the culture into it, which makes the story a little bit richer. How do you do that? Bring into the different ethnicity. Do you have to do some research? As much as I hate research, and I am somebody who will tell you I hate research with a passion. Yes. Um, well, with my husband, it was easy. I've been to Hong Kong with him many times. Um, my mother-in-law, <laughs> little five foot two Chinese woman who asks you a hundred questions in a minute. When you answer one, looks at you and says, how do you know? When you answer her, which, okay. So I also have friends uh, who are Vietnamese, who are Japanese, and it's okay. fun to sit down and talk with them, pick their brain and say, you know, this is what I've got. I need to know it's going to be accurate. I don't know it's going to be true. Mm-hmm. What sounds believable to you? What can I bring into this? And I'll talk to them. That's probably the best way to do it. It's the easiest way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely easier than research. It's the best kind of research. They get to tell you, you don't have to look it up. What are the major takeaways from the beautiful moment? That the uh, title is not a typo. My, uh, my editors and even my cover artists, when they did this, they were kept thinking, well, it's called a beautiful moment. I said, no, 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 it's the beautiful moment. And they're like, well, why? There's a reason for it. You actually have to read the story to find out. It's a little bit of a spoiler. As far as the, take- the other takeaways though, uh, I think people, even in the LGBTQ community, a lot of people are still very good at hiding pain, hiding pain okay. from families, hiding pain. If you look at the last administration who in the White House, mm-hmm. uh, within the first day of taking office, erased LGBTQ folks from the government websites, mm-hmm. um, kept referring to COVID as the China virus. Oh yes. Which if, if you're married to somebody who's Chinese, mm-hmm. you keep hearing the China virus over and over again. You know, and you're walking around, people have to be looking over their shoulder because you don't know who's out there thinking, oh, I wonder if this person's Chinese and they're responsible. So it's putting human, uh, a human face on, on things and, and folks who had to go through COVID, folks who've been through this and uh, the Asian community who have been mistaken for a certain ethnicity when they're not or mistaken for being from overseas and they're born here. You don't mm-hmm. know. So So what have you learned about yourself from writing this book? Therapy would have been more expensive. (laughs) Yes, it would have. 
No, it just, it, I didn't realize this, that I was as close, I was too close to the story until when I finished. Um, having lost both my parents, having lost my grandmother, um, having lost my best friend from college, uh, it was a 30 plus year friendship and he died from brain cancer two years ago. Dealing with grief and not realizing how much grief I was still holding inside until I sat down to write it and I channeled it through this poor character who if I ever met him in real life, I'm sure would have a few words rather unkind to say about me for it, but it gave me an outlet. Mm -hmm. And I learned a little bit more about maybe how to let go by channeling it out and saying, hey, you know what? These were not happy times. These things happened. This is how I felt about it, but you're gonna hear about it through this character, not me. Yeah. What do you feel you did right? I don't know that I did anything right <laughs> until uh, I read a couple of the reviews that came out two days ago. And I, I, I honestly, I struggled with this one because I kept thinking people are going to read this and hate it because I don't do the typical romantic tropes. And several of the folks who have reviewed it so far, they cried in, in the right places. Uh, one of them felt that I tackling the character of Wesley who had she said anybody who's gone through such a severe loss would say that I got him a hundred percent right and that to me was a huge I almost cried when I read that because it was such a relief to me that somebody got it somebody understood it and that I actually did it right when I wrote him so I think I got the character right I think I got the character of Clark right Um, someone on Amazon said that the uh, the epilogue that I got that perfect so that you don't the character you see in the epilogue is not the character you met in the beginning that you got to see that transformation so that was really nice to hear it's it's nice to hear feedback even if it's constructive and they didn't like the story i still like to read it because i'm curious as to what somebody else got out of it right very important yes very and any reviews are very important what would you have done differently (laughs) I don't know that I would have done anything different with this one except for the fact that um, towards the end of it in my head I'm already thinking well is there a second book in this I'm like no this was supposed to be a one-off don't don't put seeds into this for another one let it go it doesn't need to be a series but at the end of it I kept thinking wouldn't it be fun if the two characters in this book met two of the characters from a series that I had just done four books on and had them meet up in sort of a one-off type sequel. I'm like, I got to stop doing that. I'm overthinking it. (laughs) It could work. It might. Experimenting, experimenting, right? I've got the first scene already in my head. I won't write it, but I've got it in my head. I know exactly what would happen. So it crept in there already. That's dangerous. (laughs) <laughs> it will want to come out, you know. What is the funniest or most bizarre thing that has ever happened to you during an in-person author event? Okay, I got a good, I got a good one for you. I do, um, I was, and I had hoped to go back to, uh, it's a convention in Atlanta. And it's called Atlanticon. It's an LGBTQ convention. And I was invited down with several other authors. <laughs> and um I had a table next to uh, another author named TC Blue, who's wonderful. If, if you're gonna be sitting at a table next to somebody, you, you want it to be TC Blue. But there were these folks who came around and they were visiting us and talking to us. 
and uh, they left. And my friend Tis turned around. She says, "Hey, did did you know that that they're, they're a poly family?" I'm like, "Really, a poly family?" I'm like, "That's interesting. I had no idea what that was." So I went to um went to bed that night. And I'm just like puzzling this, and I'm I'm googling it, and okay. I can't find anything with poly family. It keeps coming up with mathematics. So the next day, she says, "You know, I, I still wanted to see if they, that poly family was going to be around." I'm like, "What is the big deal with this?" Polly family and she says do you know what that is I said well it's a family that's really good at math right no it was the whole one mom two dads family of three Polly oh god I just call it Polly Polly okay yeah yeah three people in the relationship and I'm thinking it's a family that's really good at math not the brightest thing in my uh, repertoire there but it's funny it was funny. It um, well, yes, I can laugh about it now. I couldn't laugh about it then. What is next for Chris in twenty twenty two? I am already about thirty thousand words into my book for next year, and I've got about a thousand or two thousand notes, word notes for the book for twenty twenty four, and I've got about three others that are bouncing around in my head. So it's just going to be working. It's going to be somehow managing to keep the lawn cut and still find time to write. Well, that was my next question. When do you find the time to write? And do you write daily? Do you have a daily writing routine? I've created it. I go into work an hour early and I will write for an hour before I start my regular shift. I write for an hour at lunch. I'll sit in the office by myself, I'll write. So I get two hours in or maybe about an hour and a half in there to do that. And if I come home at night, if during the winter, it's a lot easier when you don't have to mow the lawn or trim the hedges, uh, I'll sit down and if I'm, if the dog is happy, he'll be willing to leave me alone for a little bit. I'll sit down and read what I've written or try and write some other sections and some other notes. Well, you're quite productive. That's why I'm not- I ask what you do for a living in the hospital? What do you do? I deal with um, complaints and concerns the entire hospital. People oh. want to yell. I'm the person they call and yell at. Wow. Can you incorporate that into your creative career? Can you change or transform that into a comedy? Some of the complaints or ah, no. no? I've thought about it. Believe me, I've thought about it. You know? But I have to be very careful with it. Change the genders, change the names. Keep the problems. Would you like to read to us, Chris? I would. I have got a scene here. Let me see if I can bring that up real quick. Uh, to set it up, this is um, a flashback sequence where Wesley is essentially dreaming. Uh, he's reliving when his father, his father's last day of um, being alive. His father had uh, was working in a corrections facility there had been a riot. Several of the guards were hurt. His father ended up with a traumatic brain injury. Uh, was not going to come back from it, was not going to recover. And they essentially brought him home to die. So this is, and it deals, this particular scene sets up something that happens much later on in the story too, or throughout the story. Okay. Wesley listened to several voices in the living room from where he stood in the kitchen washing dishes. Some of the voices overlapped each other, so he wasn't sure what the heck was going on. His mother would have called him uh, for him if it was serious, 
The voices silenced, and she came in and poured herself a glass of water from the filter in the refrigerator door. What's wrong with Dad? Wesley set a glass down the drying rack and began washing again. He's restless again. The hospice nurse got him into the hospital bed and gave him something to help settle him down, but he's so fidgety. They say he's not in pain, but they can't figure out what he wants. I know what he wants. He'd known for some time. Something in his father's past caused him to become fixated in the here and now with deer. Dad had never been a hunter per se, but he had gone out hunting. Well, more like he went out in the woods and watched nature for hours on end. He certainly never came back with any kills. Dad apparently just enjoyed watching. Dad wanted to watch the deer again, and so Wesley had prepared. He and his mother had decided to bring him home to pass when it was time. The one thing that would help his father relax were the animals he enjoyed. Wesley rinsed the glass and dried his hands off on a dish towel, then walked over to the kitchen table, opened his backpack, and pulled out a DVD case. What's that? Mom asked. I stopped by Metro Beach early in the morning a week ago in an area where Dad and I used to see deer. I brought the video camera with me and recorded a bunch of them watching, walking around and eating. A guy I know converted the tape to DVD and made Dad a two-hour disc that'll run nonstop. I'll go put it on for him and sit with him for a while, like he used to in the car when I drive him to the beach. That should help. It did. Dad calmed down almost immediately and sat watching the television, ooing and eyeing every so often. Wesley offered to stay the night, but his mother insisted he go home, get some things done there he'd been putting off, and stay the following night. Grandma would stay with her instead. Hospice suspected Dad wouldn't pass for a couple of days, so they had a little time to figure out a schedule. Wesley turned on a Metro Parkway a little after midnight and headed east towards the very beach where he'd recorded the deer. He felt certain he could get the laundry done he'd need, pack a bag for a couple of days, take a nap, and then get his laptop loaded with things to watch or listen to. Work had granted his request for family medical leave a week prior, so at least he could concentrate on what he needed without distractions. Wesley crossed over Grosbeck, then Gratiot, continued on past Harper and Crocker, and finally slowed for the light at Jefferson, just in front of the beach. Movement in the dark far ahead. Something slow, methodical. Wesley leaned forward and stared up into the pitch black, the front headlights not adding nearly enough illumination. People? A group of kids who'd snuck into the park after the place closed and now taking their time heading out? Or something else? He switched the high beams on. Wesley gasped. Three, four, seven. Seven deer strolled towards him, towards the vehicle. Mostly does, but a buck and younger male too. They didn't flinch when he turned the higher, the higher power lights on didn't change course or look away. Wesley swore they were staring directly at him, as though they'd known he would be there all alone at that exact moment. They came closer still, until finally coming to a halt directly in front of him. He watched them. They appeared to watch him. Nobody moved. If only his father could see this, Dad would never have believed it. Wesley had no idea what possessed him to do what he did next, but he put the vehicle in park, reached for a seatbelt, unlatched it, and opened his door. Slowly, the deer continued to stand there. He climbed out of the vehicle, careful not to make any sudden moves or noises. He didn't want to spook them, but he did want to be out in the open with them. Again, no idea why. He just did. A couple of the does investigated the grass around them, probably looking for something to eat, while the rest remained still. How many times had he driven his father to the beach in search of deer since the accident? So many. As many as they'd let him take Dad out. It took so long for the hospital to feel Dad was strong enough for a short trip out and back, but they relented and immediately saw a change in his mood upon returning. Wesley would drive around four or five times until they finally caught sight of a deer, 
Sometimes it was just one and other times two or more, but seven, no, not like this, not like tonight. Why tonight though? Why not during one of their drives? And why weren't the animals running into the trees? Surely they'd learned to stay away from vehicles and people in general. Again, it struck Wesley that they'd come to him now for a reason. His father would, his father. What were the odds that this was some kind of... Wesley's cell phone rang. He reached down and pulled the phone out of his pocket. Hello? Wesley, his mother's voice, unsteady, emotional. He could hear she'd been crying. He's gone, dad's gone. He watched your video all day. Grandma and I went in to put water on for tea. I left the room for 60 seconds, and when I came back in, I thought he'd gone to sleep. He was smiling, but I couldn't see his chest moving. He wasn't breathing. I tried to get him up. I kept saying his name. I even tried to shake him a little. She cried now. He's gone, Wesley. He's gone. I'm on my way back home now. Stay with Grandma until I get there, okay? Wesley hung up, then looked back out across the street. The deer had turned and were now heading back towards where they'd come, back into the darkness, away from the light. Message delivered. His father sent them to say goodbye. Beautiful. Thank you. I actually got through it without crying this time. <laughs> That's a first. <laughs> Good job. Hard. Hard to do. All righty. Can you announce the details of your book giveaway of the beautiful moment? I am going to give that an absolute try here. <laughs> um, I do have one book I'll give away. Let's see here. Where is it? Um, I've got or copies ordered. It just came out two days ago, so I'm still waiting for them to come in. Um, as soon as I do and somebody is able see where I'm sorry, I'm, I had it written down here and I'm, I'm looking right for it here with the details. What was the it? first person who emails you with the subject line podcast giveaway will win a signed copy of your book. Can there you give go. us your email address? I will. It's a long one. <laughs> it's going to be my name, Christopher with the K, K-R-I-S-T-O, F as in Frank, F as in Frank, E-R dot gear, G-A-I-R at gmail.com. Great. And parting shots from each one of us. Chris, you first. You are my guest. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate this, especially because the book is only three days old, getting me out there. I've been a baby. It. It's a baby book. No. It's, it's, it's in its infancy. Um, this is, it's, it's fun. Uh, I, I love doing this and it's, it's, it's unusual to talk about. Feel, it feels unusual to talk about for me because I've been living with this thing for a year. Yeah. So it's all fresh in my head, but for everyone else, they're all like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but it's fun. I keep doing this. This is my ninth book. I'm going to keep doing this hopefully as long as I can. I'm enjoying it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All righty. My parting shots by indie, read indie and write indie. Reach your local newspaper for inspiration. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Thank you for listening.